What's up, guys? You're listening to Witted Banter. Another episode of Deep Cuts is here. I'm one of your hosts, Chase Williams. Across the table, he's wearing, I'm definitely comfortable in this outfit. It's Stephen Shivana. I had to move all day. Don't get me. <laughs> no, I know. It's, awesome. <laughs> it's, it's what's comfortable. I get it. It's actually not that comfortable. This is pretty tight now. So I've gotten pretty bulky, as you can see. I can tell, yeah. I just like, lay it down in reps. the gym. Yeah. To my right, he seems to look cooler every day. I think it was the sunglasses this time. It's Ahmed. Make no mistake, I am also very comfortable. Yeah, okay. (laughs) And rounding out our table of comfort, to my left is Hunter Dorsett. Yay, I'm here. Now, guys, if you didn't know, Deep Cuts is pretty simple. It's not witty banter proper like we normally do. No beer reviews and news here. Instead, we bring a topic of conversation, and we try to dive into it as deep as possible, no matter how silly or serious it actually is. We get all up in there. get up in there real good. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) so yeah, here we are. We're doing another. It's actually going to be one of the last Deep Cuts, considering witty banter is going to be close. Oh, that's the deepest cut of all. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Well said. (laughs) Clever. Yes. It's been fun, though. We've had some really good ones. I think we... Did we debut the show with... Yeah, Steven, just like that? <laughs> Debatable. Maybe if you were thinking <laughs> of topics before you got here. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I appreciate you guys always coming on and, and giving up um, a good show. It's been fun. Um, and we'll have to think of a way to extend it in the future. Absolutely. But Absolutely. we're here in the, in the present. I almost said the past. That would have been wrong. We're here in the present, and we're here to talk about stuff. And Hunter, you said that you've been thinking of a topic for a week now, mm. which means you got to go first, buddy. Man, dang it. What's your topic? I was kind of hoping I'd anchor it or something. But no, I'm down to, I'm down to lead off, get our, get our brain juices flowing. Okay, so I actually looked up a definition for mine just to give us a little bit of a, little bit of a backdrop. So, I looked up the word freedom. Oh, yeah. Oh, it says, man. the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. A couple other of definitions are absence of subjection to foreign domination or despotic government. And another one is the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. So, with that sort of foundational... Did this you know. just turn into like right wing talk radio? Like, radio? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just going to ask because the freedom isn't here anymore. I was gonna, <laughs> no, no, no. I was no. gonna kind of nudge us in that direction. What I'm gonna ask is, what is your personal definition of freedom? What does that look like? And do you feel like we are actually afforded that freedom in our everyday reality? Man, oh boy, that's a big question. Okay, good. Every and what's funny is literally everyone just took a a step, a sigh, yeah, right, yeah, (laughs) lean back. They got ready for this one. Because, because I think that it could be argued, you know, that in some ways there are some things that we're not free from that we. We like to, you know, freedom is such like a big part of like American culture and like we always just like to yell and chant freedom and stuff. But it's like, you know, what are we free from? From Do we feel like, do we feel like we're, I, I almost kind of feel inherently like I'm always free until I'm not free. You know what I mean? Like freedom is something that is just, somebody is hindering on me, right? It's like any sort of hindrance that's put upon me, sort of like a lack of freedom of that thing. So it's like, I don't know, I guess I could think of a lot of definitions in ways where I'm not like 
as free as I feel like I should be almost, you know, like, yeah, well, we're definitely not free from taxes. Mm-hmm. So I not guess free from death, we're not free from death, but speak for yourself. Oh. <laughs> I thought you didn't want to be a mortal. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I know that's why I'm talking about <laughs> that's, that's it. True, but no, so at the highest level, like if you're going to have a government and you're going to have someone protect you, there is like a little bit of trade off there. Right. And that's like the first time you sort of give up your freedom which I guess absolute freedom would just be like anarchy. Like if you just lived in nature, then you would be absolutely free. You wouldn't be free from God or, you know, you wouldn't be free from nature even. Damn, that was... That's that's yeah. <laughs> going for it, man. It's, right, it's but true, it's though, that kind right? of thought. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a real question about what uh, what the fullest extent of freedom is that we could even imagine, right? Because there would still seem to be these very natural limitations. And once you do away with those, are we even still talking about a human being anymore, right? Mm-hmm. As long as we've got a human being in our heads as the thing that we're picturing, aren't there certain limits just kind of built into that very definition? Yes, know? I totally believe there are. And I, I think just... Going out with your original question, like what is my concept of freedom, um, is to me the fact that like I can sort of walk out of my door and go anywhere and kind of just not be bothered or questioned or anything like that is just sort of my most basic sense of freedom. Like there are co- other countries in this world where you don't leave after dark because like Canada, like Canada, it's <laughs> awful. <laughs> They will come up on their mounts and they will pick you up and they will throw you in the pokey and you'll be there for the rest of the night. But that's, you know, but like seriously, on the other, like another side of the world, like you, it's terrifying to leave after dark and like you really feel like at any point in time someone could come and destroy your life pretty much without consequence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're totally free from that. You know, I think the fact that I can log on the internet right now and pretty much say whatever I damn well please is an incredible point that I, I think a lot of people take for granted, obviously, because we're lucky enough to have it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my general sense of freedom is that like I can kind of do anything I want, go anywhere within reason, and I guess we can figure out what that reason is, and say anything I want and not feel threatened mm-hmm. by it. Um, but then there's also like a lot of what I see on, on TV now with, um, I, don't, I don't know if it's an actual movement or if it's just that now people have phones, we're seeing it more and it's always been there, but with police um, just arresting people for what is seemingly just nonsense, ridiculous reasons and just showing like an abusive relationship of power, that's when it's just like, damn, it can be, you know, your, your rights as a human can kind of just be stepped on from these other people at any point in time. And, you know, your freedom could be infringed upon. But mm-hmm. I don't know. That's my knee-jerk answer. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And, the, and the, the sort of freedom that you're describing is definitely a delicate thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And we can never really uh, – it's, it's easy being – I think young people who have lived for a short amount of time to take it for granted. I mean, this is this is sort of such a trope of, like you were saying, right wing radio. You know, you're taking it for granted, but there is there really is something to that, right? This is sort of a very delicate, strange kind of political environment that we have mm-hmm. in the country now. You know, and it's easy to it's easy to be overturned. You know. Yeah, I mean, well, the big question is whether or not like um, liberal progress is actually giving us more freedom, right? Like, the guys that uh, social uh, progressives progressives put out there is that um, social equality is going to bring about more freedom for all. But the big question is whether or not 
uh, that giving the government the state more power is gonna you know take away that freedom which is why you have a lot more like military Militias popping up in the past like five or to ten years. Mm-hmm. Militia groups out in the West in Idaho and Colorado that just yeah. like are completely devoted to this idea that the state is one day going to mm-hmm. completely try to clamp down on individual rights from you know, scrap the Constitution and all that's going away. Right. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I think those people are crazy though, and I'm much more concerned of those people behaving in a way that is going to inflict. That is going to um, harm the amount of freedom that I have on a regular basis mm-hmm. than the government, to be perfectly honest. Right. I just don't trust those people. Yeah. I think there's also just a lot of quandaries going on with where, like, we don't really know what the answer is or even how to feel about it with, like, a lot of, um, like, what is what is private on the internet and stuff. And, like, all of all these companies who sort of have access to everything that you literally do and can predict pretty much how you think and act and behave now and, like, cybersecurity and whether you're free to... Whether freedom is also like a grant of privacy, you know. Yeah, I and feel like that's right. the new frontier of human conflict, where there's so few people that actually know what's going on. If anybody, you know, if a single person knows how all any of that stuff really works, mm-hmm. you know. I think I think the internet is an interesting point to come to because I don't know, like even when I think about freedom, it's like it's like what do we trade freedoms for? It's like you know whenever we like get on the internet and we're like sucked into it and we're like thinking about stuff and we throw it out there, you know, it's out on the internet and we feel free to have said what we wanted to say and what we thought. But at the same time, you could think of it as like, he said he wanted to end his stint with an iPhone like five minutes ago. And I was immediately like, no way could I do that. Right. (laughs) In a way I feel enslaved to technology because yeah. Yeah. I can't not use technology and expect to live like a similar lifestyle at all. You know, like in a way I feel enslaved to certain things like money or technology or even like advertisements. Yeah. Sort of. Oh, like sure. I feel yeah. like I can't escape like literally everything is advertisements well, when I think it, it about intrudes it. Intrudes in your, your yeah. headspace, you know? Yeah. So like there's you know I I think political freedom is something that can definitely be argued this way and that, but a lot of times, even when I think of freedom, I don't even think about like what it is and is not granted to me. It's just like, is freedom is freedom something we're just making up and we like to label things as freedom? Mm. You know, it's just like I don't even know how to really describe freedom because what I think freedom is is not being hindered, and and so I don't even know what that means. But like the moment that I feel hindered by something, it's like, well, I feel like I'm being stripped of freedom from yeah, that thing. I, you, because you can take it in a dialectic sense. So like, all of us we're pretty well educated people, and the likelihood that our parents read to us when we were children is fairly high. Mm-hmm. I'm making an assumption here, but I'm going to say that there's a fairly high likelihood that our parents read to us when we were four, you know, three or four, year, five years old. Okay. Would you say then that a parent that does not read to that child who is doing a hindrance to them is taking freedom from that child? Maybe you could say like a freedom of access to knowledge. I don't know. But not really. No, I wouldn't say that that's like a, a hindrance well, of freedom. Yeah, but you were trying to say that whenever something is hindering you is, is impairing your freedom. And so a child that isn't read to is being hindered. And therefore, through that logic, you should say that they're less free. Yeah, I guess. I Which guess is an interesting, you know, state uh, way to think about that. I I suppose. I mean, that just seems 
unfortunate sort of. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so, you know, this is actually kind of where I wanted to go with my topic. To okay. Interesting. Um, Let's not leave this one just yet. No, no, no. no. I, okay. wanted to, right. I wanted to answer this. Okay. But um, um, would you say then um, <laughs> social, social equality... I'm just like, put a pin in that yeah. shit because I got shit to say. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Where, where, where do we leave at? I forgot where I'm... Where so I'm you're, you're asking whether yeah, so not being read to as a child is in a way, you know, does that infringe upon your freedom? Yeah, so this is kind of the central like question of privilege these days, which is a, a word on everybody's lips, you know, so mm-hmm. are people that are so-called privileged, the ones that are, oppre- they're, you know, under this progressive narrative, they're the ones that are oppressing people that are less privileged. And I've heard, I've seen on some videos that a privilege of some, of white people is that they're read to as children, sometimes in higher percentages and mm-hmm. than uh, minorities or people with less access overall are. Right. Yeah, so... I think that like really flips the narrative in a way that is meant to open people's perspective to how people are raised in this country yeah. and how, you know, there is just like institutional and systemic um, oppression on certain peoples. But would you call that kind of privilege oppression on the other people that don't get that? Yeah. Because you don't know which one's cause and which one's effect in that sense, you know? I mean, because they have, a, they have absolutely every riot under the... Uh, under our political system to not read to their children, right? And right, to yeah. read to their children as well. Both ways, absolutely. You mean there's no, yeah, there's no, uh, it's not like there's a legal obligation is, to do no, it, yeah. Right. There's not. But one of them is privilege and one of them is oppression. Right. I think, I think. I don't know what to do with that sometimes. Yeah, I think noting on the 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 fine line between privilege and freedom is interesting. Because, like, when we think of, like, what American freedom is, sometimes we just think, like, the ability to go get a fucking hamburger anywhere I want. You know, like, that's freedom. Like, that's a lot of people's version of freedom. Like this country. You know? (laughs) Like, be able to go get a $2 hamburger over at McDonald's. That's freedom. It almost sounds like we're we're starting to combine the word freedom and right in that point right there, where it's like, does everybody have a right to be read to or something, you know? Um, And, like, you can even think about the list of, even the United Nations uh, Doctrine of Human Rights, where it's just like every human being has a right to clean water. Well, you can almost say like... Well, that was very controversial. Well, yeah. actually, a lot of the states said like it was like 176, but countries voted yay on that. But there were important ones like, you know, the United States that said that's not a human right because yeah. it's... Oh, the whole the whole notion of these positive or claim rights, as they're called, you know, that is you have a claim to something, right? Not just to be left alone, but to get mm-hmm. something positive. It's, it is controversial for sure. And mm-hmm. especially the U.S. with our kind of really deep liberal tradition kind of resist that to an extent, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But yeah, I'm just wondering if you could even reword it and say like everyone has a freedom to get water, you know? It, I don't know if it's sort of fitting into this conversation as well, but... um. Well, there are definitely levels you can imagine, right? I mean, you could say no, you know, you could say everybody has a right not to be hindered in their access to water, which means nobody can come up and stop you. Mm-hmm. But it, it is a little bit different to say if you don't have water and you can't get it, it will be provided for you, which sure. seems to be what the UN is saying. Yeah, pretty much. Step, which is I mean, and, and just that whole push towards like quote unquote human security right. that's been going on with you, know, especially in like in Europe the past like yeah. whatever 10 years but def- it's definitely along the same lines. well i wanted to try to venture another guess here or, you know and kind of give an offer a definition or something to this this original question um okay but i want to start with an example of of a, a person who 
is is unhindered legally politically they can do what they want and and given that freedom that they have they unfortunately develop an addiction to something you know it could be heroin it can be you know sex whatever it mm-hmm. is they just they've formed their psychology in such a way that that's what they need right i don't think anybody can look at a heroin addict and say in any significant sense they're free right yeah it just it's one of the most visceral ways we can imagine that a person is just completely unfree. But what does that mean? They have a desire for the heroin and they are fulfilling it. So what what does it mean to say it's not they're not free? And I think what we mean is they've become enslaved to this one desire. They've become subject to a part of themselves, right? And they've become kind of twisted up. So if that is an example of somebody being very unfree, then I think what would be a real kind of freedom uh, from that point of view would be somebody who can pursue their true and and deepest desires unfettered or unhindered. Mm -hmm. And that includes not being hindered by the rest of yourself too, you know, by addiction, by addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I would say that that's, that's a real kind I mean, it's a, it's a little bit abstract, but I think that human beings have, have certain desires and then the ability to sort of pursue those clear sightedly without being psychologically dependent on them. That's a really important type of freedom. Mm -hmm. And I think connected to that though is, um, I think another very important type of freedom is independence from the prevailing opinions of, uh, of the time and place that you find yourself in the prevailing dogmas. And I know Chase specifically, you're going to love this. Oh boy. But, but this is the idea, right? In, in every, in every human society, especially pre-liberal societies, you know, you're raised and there's a public state religion or something. There's a very certain way of viewing the world and that's imposed on people. That's, you know, that's the way you look at things. It's an indoctrination, right? And there's a very specific kind of freedom that, that we can all imagine, which is what if you were liberated from those points of view and you could really just see for yourself and think for yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, you can just really investigate the world, the cosmos, for yourself and come to your own conclusions. Yeah. The only difference I would say is that I, I don't think that we're exempt from that in liberal societies. I think we have dogmas that are very deeply ingrained in us, and, and true freedom would be questioning even those. Our dogmas are just a little bit different. You know, we don't, we don't call the sun a god, but instead we say things like all people are equal. Well, maybe, maybe not. That's a dogma, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if you're yeah. really going to be free, you've got to question even that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and kind of talking about just like the actual threat of society and whether or not like the fact that you may like maybe functioning within the society, you may have these freedoms, but the fact that like you're still in that society and you can't really escape it. And like, that's why I love the movie, uh, the matrix and just the fact that like trying to act like realizing where I am right now that like, no matter what I do, I pretty much have to play by the rules in place by, um, like the banks um, traffic laws, like there are all these things that like you don't you don't sign up for. It's just the way it is. And wondering if whether or not like that makes you unfree. I don't know. It's an interesting thought. The fact that like the only way to really escape them is to leave society. Yeah. Know? Right. And then that would be what anarchy, like we were talking about, and perhaps that is total freedom. But 
Yeah. I don't know. I really liked your drug drug user reference. It was yeah, it was, was a nice, nice mind twister. I mean, I know like yeah. a lot of my family has been addicted to cigarettes, so uh-huh. it's like I personally can say that they are not freed from right, the right. ability to not do cigarettes. Yeah, like they right. literally have to. Smoking is a great example because we've all known the kind of person who, you know, it's like 4 a.m. and they just have to go outside, you know, even though it's freezing cold because they just have to have that cigarette. Right, so no yeah. choice about it, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty pretty wild. Cool. Anything else, Steven? You wrap it up. Everything's good. I thought that felt good. I did feel yeah. good. Yeah. It was right. It was right where it needed to be. All right. Take us somewhere else. Uh, Freedom isn't free. <laughs> it's a hefty fucking <laughs> free. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's go ahead and steer the conversation. Ahmed, I would like you to go next. Oh, how about that? Look how about it? Dictator Chase just uh, deciding. Who's <laughs> Mostly <going> Dick. <laughs> Chase. I have no quandaries with that description. Uh, <laughs> All right, so the the topic that I have, I mean, it's it's a it's fairly uh, a common topic to to discuss, but without prejudicing the discussion, I'm just going to lay it down, and then we'll see where it goes. Okay, lay down, <laughs> lay down, down. I'm I'm gonna, I'm lay this down. And the question is, when it comes to media, specifically movies and video games, I think especially. Okay, should we be more concerned about violent content or sexual oh content? Oh my god, I Great. literally was thinking of this a week ago. Like this exact question. I figured you would be. Yeah. So Chase Great. Chase will have a synopsis for us. Yeah. No, I mean not not necessarily. But you know, it's, it's it's something that it's something that comes up cuz you know the United States has a particular attitude and some people criticize it. And I'm just, you know, what, mm-hmm. what what do we think about our our attitudes towards these these two different ways in which something can be considered adult, you know? Yeah. Could we broach and generalize and say that the Americanized viewpoint is that violence is more okay than sexual content? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's in Europe where you're going to see more explicit, like, sexual yeah. scenes. Right. Yeah. Themes like Well, it's, that. like, looked down upon for things to be publicly sexual, right. I feel like, in a lot of mainstream American stuff. So Sure. Totally. With sex, it's interesting because, like, everybody... With sex, it's always interesting. It's all, <laughs> even when it's not that interesting, it's still... It's, that's still yeah. interesting. Yeah? We can yeah. use the whole cold pizza metaphor. <laughs> still pizza. Still wow, pizza. okay. Um, well, shit. I, w- I do want to say for the record, though, cold pizza is better than hot that's pizza the night just before. just BS. I don't know. Wait, 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 wait. You're not... You're saying cold pizza is better than reheated pizza is what you're saying. No. You're saying it's better than fresh <laughs> hot no. pizza. That's yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying, right. and it's ridiculous. I can't even acknowledge it's, that it's, statement. It's ludicrous. <laughs> but I, what I was what I was gonna say is, I feel like everybody at, is going in their in their lifetime probably um, to have like a sexual a sexual awakening, you know. And I feel like a lot of what America trying to like, I don't even I can't. But that's the thing I can't say that we we shy away from it because at the same time like. Everything here is in, in, in none sexualized. Yeah, exactly you know? right. It's right. hypersexualized. You know, but it's it's sexualized, I guess, in a different way. Whereas in Europe, it's more like you're going to see naked people and yeah. actual sex. Yeah. So there right. is those differences there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like what small like shying away we do have towards sex is to like almost save the innocence of youth who might potentially see it. But well, that's always the argument. It's always like, but what about our kids? You know, it always goes back to that. And see, what I always say is, like, not not that, like, any kid should be able to, like, go watch porn every once, but it's, like, some kid, no matter when, like, how old you are, eventually some kid is going to see something he shouldn't have seen, and that is going to spark his sexual, like... Curiosity. Curiosity, and then from that point forward, that's when he is pretty much becomes... He or she becomes aware <laughs> A of different sex, person. Right? <laughs> um, 
And I don't think that's necessarily like a, like a bad thing. I think once you become like sexually aware, it can certainly spiral out in ways that are negative. Yeah. But um, it's going to happen, and that's okay. Now, violence, on the other hand, I think like comic books especially, just in the early days, like a very cartoonish way of, of depicting violence, especially with like even uh, like Roadrunner and stuff, right? Oh, just yeah. dropping anvils on people's heads. But... There is like this category, these categories now that are like it's violence that's super stylized. Mm-hmm. Um, like Quentin Tarantino, right. um, Drive, which is like hyper violence, where it's like it's so over the top violent that that's why kind of what gives it its coolness. Um, and then you have like just these in horror movies, just like gore, yeah, yeah, in which I just, yeah, I don't know, not know? about them. And, and yeah. the thing is, is I know that there there are fans of all of that. There's people who like those are their favorite types of movies, and like they might be a little off in my opinion, just like different. But I, I'm not gonna automatically call them like a bad person or anything, or th- or like question who they are like at a fundamental level because they like these things. I gotta say, if I met somebody whose list of favorite movies consisted of you know Hostel and Saw and stuff <laughs> like that, I would, yeah. I would really consider <laughs> yeah, what kind of person. Not I'm talking to that person. Not my game. Yeah. We may not understand it, but I don't think that's fair enough to just say like yeah. probably a shithead. Let me well let me take a let me take an Ahmed moment and try and try and narrow the scope here. Okay. Okay. Um so can we say objectively that there is any sort of depiction of violence that is good for people? And can we say that there is any depiction of sexuality that is good for people? Because I would argue sexually there are depictions that can be positive and that can re- like inspire or be, be something that pers- people can draw positivity from. Whereas violence is like iffy because it doesn't really seem like there's really a whole lot of upside to exposing people to violence. I think there is a big social upside. Maybe it's, it's harder to make the case on an individual level, but I think if you're going to exist in a society that is not pacifistic, right, that at some point has to fight a war with somebody, then it's going to be necessary that part of the population, not all of them, but a segment of the population is desensitized enough to violence that they can just go out there and kill. Yeah. So you think that that would be good in that space. sense? Yeah. Unf- unf- if, if, war, if, if it's possible that this society would fight a war that they had to and that the war was good, which I, I don't think is uh, unreasonable, then unfortunately I think you have to say yeah. It's like if you feel like if violence exists, then having a little bit of exposure to violence allows you to thrive in situations that you might be exposed to that are yeah violent. like just just as a survival thing it might mm-hmm. be necessary. now the reason i mean even I, I had to qualify by saying it's good for the society it's it's very hard i think to make the argument that just on an individual human level you can really become more healthy by being exposed to violence i don't think you, i would I argue you can't yeah i'm not not so sure about that but I, I do think there's a political need yeah but like when i'm playing gears of war and i'm like chainsawing people in half yeah. Comically so, mm-hmm. is that really like negatively impacting my psyche? When like I see it as just, I'd say probably in ways that you probably don't really the register. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but but isn't it also that that you've just seen so much of that that it? I mean, let me put it this way: if 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 you can imagine somebody from not even that long ago, let's just say you know uh, a guy around your age from the 1920s, right? And you give him this game, mm-hmm. and you have him run. Isn't he gonna be freaked out? 
I think he would be. He probably. No, would be. absolutely. I just think, I just think we we've become so flooded with this stuff that yeah, no, I I I totally agree. Now we can do it, and it's not. I don't know how much. If you of an go to live leak and see that in real life. That's you know. There's yeah. a, well, no, that's what I was gonna people, say. Yeah. There is a point in time where like whether or not it's good for you or prepare or gives you any sort of insight, like just the fact that even with like so let's say it's a moment of crisis throughout the world, and it's like if you want to click on this warning graphic images, but like you can look at real violence. And mm-hmm. when you do, when you know the, uh, the one or two moments I've ever seen something like that, it is a very sobering sight Oof. that oh, yeah. I think has ultimately benefited me by making me respect human life and like huh. understood. Uh, this is the perspective. How I fragile personally. That, so, you know, I'm going in the military fairly soon and I, I, I take all that stuff very seriously. So, when I know that there's an operation in uh, Iraq and Syria, and I know that there's a downed Jordanian pilot that's captured and he's burned alive, yeah, right. I was honestly way too curious, and I had to Ooh, see it. Gosh. And it was unbelievably devastating. And it just, you know, it changes your body chemistry yeah. in a way that yeah. just like. So, know, so have, having watched it, do you think, do you think there was some benefit from having seen it? Did, did you Personally, learn something? Personally, I think I did. I. I Knowing the path that might be in my future, I felt like this was useful knowing what is what is out there for mm. me. But that perfectly plays into your point because he's going into the military right. because there are wars. <laughs> right. You know? I mean, and I guess even in a broader sense, I, I guess it... This is this is very dark, but I think it's true. There is something educational about being exposed to violence because if we're not going to kid ourselves about the kind of world that we live in, right? right. If, mm-hmm. if you are interested in knowing what the truth of the human situation is... Yeah. It would be wrong to focus exclusively on that sort of stuff, obviously, but to ignore it entirely would be a distorted picture of the world. Mm-hmm. Right? And there are there are forms of violence that aren't depicted as even like remotely that bad. Like martial arts is sure. a f- is an art form of violence, essentially. Yeah. You yeah. know, football. Yeah, football yeah. is gladiatorialism oh, for yeah. for modern day you know rabble rousers. See, that's so interesting to me because I can honestly barely watch American football now. Because it's too violent to me. Really? Yeah. I have a tough but time with, uh, with boxing. I have a tough huh? time with boxing. Boxing, it's I just, can't do it's, it. It's bad. Yeah. I think it's you could watch like, Floyd Mayweather fight. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's too devastating to me to see like people that get that get injured like that for no like social benefit really right. in my mind. Just you entertainment. Know? Just personal. Yeah. yeah. Pure entertainment. Yeah. Millions and millions of dollars. Well, yeah. I want to I want to try to make a. A, some defense of the what what sort of gets stereotyped, you know, not wrongly, is the American position as opposed to the European position. All right. Okay. So you know, there, there's a there's a common claim that we're a little bit too puritanical when it comes to sexual content. You know, right. and uh, there uh, obviously there's some you know there's some strange attitudes here. But like we pointed out before, there's also <laughs> there's some hypersexualization in America. Yeah. And nobody would doubt that that saturates American culture, right? Yeah. Some of which is marketed to like very young girls. And Absolutely, stuff. and that's and that's bowlings. a big that's a big problem. But um. I do think that one thing that gets overlooked when we talk about violent content versus sexual content and how the two compare is that we do, as far as I can tell, as human beings, we have a natural aversion to violence. Um, On some basic level, the natural human reaction to seeing another human being suffer extreme violence is to turn away. We just just don't want to see that, right? It's, It's painful. You know, we, we, we're intelligent enough that we can recognize that that guy is kind of like me. We're both the same sort of thing. And God, that looks awful, right? Yeah. That's sort of the basic rea- reaction. And so when we talk about what the danger of, of exposing kids to violence is, 
usually I think it's something like desensitization. We don't want them to get used to that. That would be a bad right. thing. We don't want to ruin that kind of innocence, right? And that, that's, a, that's an important point, fine, but, but there's a limit to how bad it can get, I think, right. in, in most normal cases. With sexual content, though, it's the opposite. We don't have a natural aversion to it. We have exactly the opposite, right? There's a natural, strong attraction to it. And I think that's exactly why we have to be very careful with sexual content precisely because it is what we like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's Mm -hmm. the stuff we have to be very careful about because once you get to the point where sex kind of seeps into the popular consciousness and it's just everywhere it's used in marketing as much as it is, I don't know if there's any going back, you know, and I I think we all know people who we would have to describe as just not even sexually healthy and vigorous and just too much they're oversexed right they just can't get their head on anything else and i think that is such a real danger because human beings are already so strongly drawn towards it that if you just if you're not careful it's just going to take over people's lives you know right i don't think that's i don't think that's a problem with violence but it is a problem with sex yeah but and even thinking as well just in the grander scheme of like what the media is putting out there um what if you want to call like whatever movies or TV or anywhere you're going to consume it? If you want to call that art, I don't think anything should be off limits in art, you know. And but there is the question of like why is our art so exclusively violent? Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it, I don't know, when it comes to, I just I I feel like there's an argument to be made. And I don't know how to make it that the violence that kind of goes on in like the biggest Hollywood movies and the most, the, the content that is going to the most amount of people is so not real in a way that like, it's so romanticized and dramatized and all that, that it's like almost not, you're not really looking at an act of violence anymore as much as you're looking at like, I don't know, a perform like a performance or something. I, I mean, sure. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but what about the instances where it is super real? Like, uh, what was that? There was like a Navy SEAL movie. Act of Valor is what mm-hmm. it was called. It had like real retired Navy SEALs like acting like they were in war. And yeah. I was just like so flummoxed by that. I was like, what are, what are we watching here? Yeah. yeah. Right. It's weird. Uh, I will say like just a very specific instances of, of um, these two topics uh, arriving in media. I would say like uh, Saving Private Ryan was like the first – violent mm. movie that I thought was useful to see. Mm, okay. Yeah. Does anybody else have like a touchstone like that? Where That's you, a great one. I, I would love say that movie. Titanic, the Titanic was like the first like sex scene that I'd ever seen. Right. Because it was very huh. mild. It was just a naked female right. body mm-hmm. doing what artists have done forever was drawing a naked female right. nude. Yeah. And it's, you know, very <laughs> old tradition of that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's I, also, I think you sorry. can, you can definitely point at different things that have popped up in both camps that can be said beneficial. Mm-hmm. I, I think just one of the main things that I think is so weird is that when you're exposed to a lot of violence in a row, it is sort of like a desensitization, whereas the sexual exposure is more like brainwashing. It's like mm. it's like burying something into your subconscious that like eventually you're going you're gonna to bite. You're gonna think that chick's so hot, like I can't stop thinking about that chick, kind of thing. Whereas, like with violence, you're almost like trying to train yourself to like think that it's okay and that it's cool. Yeah. But you're like a little bit arm's length from it. You know, I don't know. It's just a weird like way that we kind of consume, I guess. Yeah, and I and I do think it comes down to just those those basic appetites we have. You know, I mean, if 
human beings to some extent are, are, are violent. We have the capability for it at least, but it's just not the same as, as the sexual drive, which is just so present and strong. Mm-hmm. Constant. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know if I necessarily agree that it's impossible to go back from because I think that it might be the case that like pretty much humanity was like had sexually repressed itself to a pretty incredible degree all throughout like the dark ages and up until now when you're kind of allowed to be expressively sexual. And now that we have that freedom, it's like that's all we can really do because we haven't been able to do it for so long. And it might be the case that in like a hundred years from now, once we've gotten, we're, once we're, it's all out of our system, we're kind of onto something else. Right. And when you think about repression that's happened historically, what do you have in mind exactly? Like, I think like with, um, just sex is a sin. Um, like, there's instances of, you know, like a lot of witch burnings and claiming like where it's tied up with it, sexual it's jealousy like the, or something yes, like this that, like right. repent, like this uh, just held up sexual just energy and they like blame it on they just target people for it. And then they would like literally kill and punish these people, you know, because mm-hmm. for sometimes just sexual basic reasons. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I took human sexuality uh, with this really interesting teacher named Mr. Brownstein, and he uh, basically he made the <laughs> no. Uh, he basically made the. But what if he's listening right now? That's <laughs> he's just like, he's like what dang the? it! <laughs> and I like Tunner. I'm hot. Yeah, but uh, but he basically made the point that like sexuality was like very much a part of most religions before Christianity. Like, Christianity was the first one to, like, severely repress that notion as, like, a bad notion until this point. You know, like, it was, like, incorporated in a lot of other religions that, you know, succeeded. um, Yeah, I mean, I I do think... Fertility statues and stuff. Yeah. And civilizations in general have had to kind of strike a balance with sex. I mean, you know, they they wanted to be careful not to repress it too much. And I do think Christianity went, at least historically, it went a little bit far, right? (laughs) But, um... But at the same time, I don't think you'd find many flourishing civilizations that were completely liberal when it came to sex. They couldn't be, right? And right. there was a deep connection, if nothing else, between sex and childbirth. And if you wanted to maintain the family unit, you had to be really careful who was going to be allowed to sleep mm-hmm. with who. And that's why these sort of restrictions are, are pretty common. You know? Right, yeah. I mean, we still have like mild restrictions. Like we don't allow prostitution and things like of that nature, you know? I'd imagine. In the next 50 to 100 years, the only restrictions we're going to have are against... Is your own energy, baby. Are, are against uh, yeah, incest yeah. and very young... very and, and even sort of the most basic kinds of incest. And then, uh, yeah, very, very young uh, very young people. Yeah. Well, damn. Well, yeah. Won't that be the world to live in? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Finally. No, yeah, I guess it's just... It's, it's crazy to think how... Um, I, I, those are two very like innate parts of nature. Is there is the Sex existence and death. of survival so I told and you I was death? Roll it and, back a little bit. This yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it, you know which one is which one is more prevalent? Which one should be more prevalent? Yeah, sort of thing. It's tough to say because I think personally I feel a lot more enslaved to the notion of sexuality as, as far as media space. Yeah. You oh, know, I, I, it's I, like you can't I watch think. a car commercial without it having some sexy babe eating a eating a burger on top of it. You know, sexy baby, sexy <laughs> sexy babe. Oh, only you would think That's that. A hot baby. You, yeah. <laughs> <The> High rise diapers. <laughs> Maybe. All right. 
Thank you for the topic comment. Absolutely. Good My topic is a little straightforward. I just have a question for you guys. Hmm. And that question is... Straight is, shooter. Um, is America the greatest country in the world? Currently? Right now. Guys? Yeah. Yes. Just knee jerk? My knee... Yeah, that's what you want, right? Everyone yeah. Go. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll say no. We'll no. give our explanations later. Okay. I'll say no. Okay, so my question your... would be, who is it? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's always the follow-up. That's follow a good up. question. I don't, it, to be, I mean, that's a very fair question because I'm not sure I said that yes I have is because I can't think of yeah. one that is. My follow-up would maybe be Great Britain. Yeah, that's a, sounds decent, but it, you're, two, you're right in the same ballpark. Those, that's, you know? I, yeah. No, 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 it's, it's true, it's true. Those, those, two are, those, two are very, those two are very close together. I think if you're going to say no, you got to go with something like Iran or something. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Maybe North sure. Korea. Yeah. North Korea. <laughs> China. China maybe, you know. Yeah. Actually China I think does have a running at it. China has a run yeah. I, it's it's very hard to say. And I see I think it would be easier to point at a lot of discrepancies with why China's not the greatest in the world. Like I feel like they're well, I feel what like, are we qualifying as the greatest? Well what yeah. Well I think, you know, the greatest simply is going to want if you're gonna are, are we trying to strip ourselves of just like nationalism and, and patriotism sort of like yeah, yeah, try to look at it in an objective light or are we just trying to possible, like say yeah. because um you know I, I I think that some of the things that you have to point to would be of course like economy um, would be um, kind of like liberty and how how their justice system is set up what kind of you know, what kind of access uh, to resources people have in that country. Yeah. Um, but, you know... I, what about happiness? I, I, yeah. We're not the happiest. That's we're not the happiest. We're not the richest. There's I, there's a lot of just swept under the rug stuff about America that I can't look past and say, oh, we're the greatest, even though all that shit still exists, you know? Yeah. By, just the, by the way, Chase, what's your, what's your one-word answer before we... Uh... I have to say yes. Okay. But okay. I, I look at it in, in my, um, I guess, context, and especially like what are we going to qualify as the greatest, ever since reading Thucydides, there that has go. rung so fucking true for our country. And like, that's the question where just the Malian dialogue blew my shit away, man. And it's literally just like they go to this island that has basically a small navy and they say that like, well... This is, and this is the Athenian Empire that you're talking yes, about. Yes, right? and they're like, here's the deal. We're pretty much known as the greatest navy and the fact that you have one and you're not allied with us or taken over by us basically means that you're insulting us and we have to take you. You can either do this peacefully, you can say, okay, we're yours, or you can do this unpeacefully and we have to kill every single one of you. And what, they ended up saying no, right? And they ended up trying to resist. Yeah, and, and getting uh, decimated. They, they got decimated, yeah. And that whole, the whole lesson to be learned there of like, when you're the greatest, you have to take, or when you're the, the one who's in power and you're in this unipolar system, like you have to do, you have to do these things that are kind of like vexing in a moral sense to keep that position. Like there is no like fair, fair ball. Like you, everything else comes with being number one. And that is actively making sure no one else becomes number one. And yeah. And whether or not that action was the right one to take is just, I think at the fucking heart of what we do every day in this country, you know? Well, is it because, I mean, there's only one, there's only one other country in the world that we consider to be a a growing rival and that would be China or Russia. No. 
No. No. <laughs> See, I, w- I would have thought maybe India, but Ch- China for sure. It's definitely. I, mean, I think China is the lead claim, right? Yeah, now. China yeah. is Absolutely. definitely. Yeah. It's the only one that's even like remotely feasible at challenging our number one spot. Yes. Isn't that that's correct? The question, right? Russia's not. Russia's not. No. In number one in terms India. of in terms of power, we're talking in terms about here. Of power, okay. Just greatness. Economic, political, military power. Yes. Okay. You know. Yeah. Um. So I don't think that is really America's quandary right now. I think we're using the surplus of goods and services that we can provide to the world to do the greatest good, which is actually why I say yes, because I think America does do a lot of great, good things in the world. Yeah, and that's and that's where I always have to like try to steer my thoughts to as well. But you know, there also is just the harsh truths of like times in the '50s and and such where we went to. We would literally overthrow um, democratic regimes. Sure, you can go, and, down, you can go down the list. Uh, Chile, uh, Iran, Guatemala. Nicaragua. Yeah, absolutely. So, but that and see, that's where, that's where the whole question comes in. Is like when we do these things that are quote unquote for good, are we doing them for good, or are we being Athens, and making sure that nothing ever ends up having a chance to go against us. Yeah, I don't think we are doing it for good. I think we're doing it for ourselves, and I think we label that as our good. Yeah, but because I mean, the question is, is if that's okay, though. Well, do- doesn't it come down to a much more fundamental question about whether the American way of life is a good one and that's worth protecting or not, right? Because mm-hmm. for, for the a long... James K. James K. Polk yeah. question is like, if they just knew what we were doing... They would know that yeah. America is this great experiment, and us right. taking their country and, was good for them. And and <laughs> if I mean, and if you if you do think that liberalism, you know, the, the, that that's I think to to me at least when I when somebody asks you know how I assess America, that's what comes to my mind first because that's what sets us apart is this this liberal uh, constitutional government. If you right. think that that's a good way for human beings, or if that's the best way for human beings to live and to flourish then I think you can start to say, yeah, any action taken that was required to keep us safe, even if it wasn't to spread liberalism, you know, even if we sort of made anti-democratic mm-hmm. movements abroad, we kept ourselves safe, we kept ourselves on top, that's ultimately still for the best because liberalism has to flourish and we have to be strong in our defense of it. But that's only if, of course, your initial answer is, yeah, liberalism is the right way for people to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and there's and there's the whole thing where I don't think it has, I don't think it's mutually exclusive that doing things in our interest automatically means that they're not for the greater good. You know, I think those two things can happen at the same time. They can, but often they aren't. But w- one thing that's hard for me to, to uh, strip from the notion of the American lifestyle, lifestyle is consumerism. And yeah. I think that it's just blatantly inflated to this point where it's not sustainable to even imagine having the amount of people that we have on the earth living the way that we live. So it's like, what is right? Like, I feel like I'm already, I feel like in this room I have more stuff and we, there's nothing Definitely in here. moving out has brought that question to you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like in this room I have like way more stuff than the average person has. So it's like, what is that level and is it okay that like, see, because I think it's always been like, well, whatever leaves us as number one is ultimately a good thing because it's our country, right? But it's like, you could either look at it like that or you could look at it as like what's best for humanity or what's best for the world or, you know, you can have different perspectives. What's best for me, you know? Yeah, and I, I want to say something pretty similar, I think, which is when I hear that question, the first thing I think of is what is life like for Americans who live here in the United States, right? You know, mm-hmm. what kind of quality of life do we have for people? Happiness, really, is what mm-hmm. it comes down to, you know? And um, 
cons- and I, I'll admit that sometimes I think I focus too much on the downsides of it, but just to sort of make the argument, I'm going to go ahead and do that right now. I'm going to exaggerate the bad parts. <laughs> okay. and, that's, uh, and that's exactly the sort of stuff you're talking about, that deep-seated kind of consumerism and materialism that doesn't allow people to be more than just animals sometimes. And I think that that comes to a head in the United States in a way that it doesn't quite in other countries. And I think some of the most stark statistics have to do with um, illicit drug consumption. If you look at the amount, uh, the ratio of population that we have here in the United States compared to the population of the world, right? Compared to the amount of drugs that we used as a percentage of the world's drug consumption, we are just drugged up as a country. Mm-hmm. We can't even deal with being alive anymore. We have to be so goddamn hopped up all the time. Yeah, right. I think that is a sign of a deep sickness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, like, including uh, medical Pharmaceutical, right? yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Pharmaceutical is yeah. horrible. Yeah, and like, uh, speaking to your point as well, and then also like combining it with that quote that you said about how like, if our way of life is the best and we should be spreading it, but at the same time, the way we live is literally unsustainable to the tune of like it would take six Earths for the entire population of the world to live like we do. So if trying to spread that way of life is literally impossible, so then it might not be the, the best thing to do. Well, then you would stretch it, and I think we would, you would stretch it, and we would maybe you know decrease in our consumption. And it's it's we have such a gluttony of consumption here that it would not be missed, and that it would bring us to closer to happiness that I think we're theorizing is possible with less consumption, right? So if you if you expanded that the the amount that other people consume or like take on consumerism as something that is not purely detrimental to, you know, human well being, as many societies I think do, then then I think you could have that that result which but yeah, I, I also think that just the boiling over of this consumerism is also just an effect of the fact that like we had in Americans pretty much compared to the, what other people in the world have experienced, we really haven't had hardship here ever. Like we just haven't experienced like real dehabilitating. Yeah, the 30s would have been the last time. Yeah, since the depression. Yeah. You know, and that's not even to say that like there are countries out there where like pe- the, the whole population is refugees and they don't eat, you know, right, like it can right. be so much worse. And because we don't have anything remotely close to that, we live in like literally fucking fairy tale land where we literally define we define ourselves by um, the consumerist culture. Like it's like, well, what do you like? And like, well, these are all the TV shows that I like, and I'm into this character. Yeah, like, we right. literally define ourselves now by capitalist ventures. Yeah, by what know? we consume. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think. Another thing that's interesting is like you know the notion that we're trying to like spread America's goodness over a larger area and then come down. See, I think that's bullshit. I think that's why we've stockpiled on all of our military shit is because we want to keep our consumerism status. And then anyone who like has supply that's gonna say no to us, we're just gonna like point a gun to their head and be like, you're gonna give it to us, like whether we want it or not. And that's a really bleak way of looking at it. But I can't. Say it's, that it's I don't totally think that that's valid. how it's going to be, you know, like, I, I, I don't feel like there's a whole lot of reason why else yeah, we would not, stockpile on, like, military you know, let's stuff. Let's not be glib about this, though. Like, when Saddam Hussein threatens to cut off, you know, a quarter of the world's supply of oil, that's, that's making sure that ambulances can still get sick people to hospitals. That's not, you know, that's mm-hmm. not just so we can drive 90 miles an hour to malls. You know, that's important to lifestyle that is, you know deeply vital for goodness to happen in this country. So in this country though. No, in every country. In every country that in the world that uses oil to be certain, that's why it's so valuable. 
So when Japan doesn't pony up and doesn't put a a military in Iraq, then it's like, well, where was Japan on that one? Because they're using a shit ton of oil too. Also, I do think there's something to this kind of liberal vision of a world where uh, you've got a lot of consumerist nations that are all producing and trading with each other. And I I do think there are these two aspects to the United States foreign policy. On one hand, you've got the kind of brutalizing, bullying, go around, just take what they want. But I do think there's the other part of it, which is that I think a lot of Americans and statesmen and generals included, you know, think that if we can get to that point where we have liberal regimes in place and then we all just consume and produce and trade, that's actually cheaper. It's much cheaper to trade than it is to, to fight a war yeah, to get stuff. that's what the hardliners you know? in Iran are afraid of with this deal is that it's going to increase the cost of going to war to a, such a great point that they're not going to be able to fight a war with right. us, which right. is what hardliners in Iran and in the United States want, is they want conflict, yeah. and they want their side to come on top. So it, that's why this, trade, this uh, uh, nuclear deal is so important, is that it raises the cost of going to war to such a high point that it's not going to be no rational statesman is going to choose war in that in that instance, except America. Well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, we have this faction in the country too that is. You have the Tom Cotton faction that sure, writes letters yeah. that sends. Yeah, exactly, and, exactly. And but I mean, but not to know. say I mean they obviously have those in Iran, like you were saying. I mean, mm-hmm. every country's got this group of people who is uh, skeptical and yeah. fanatical. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I guess just. I so who are your dark horses for for greatest? Yeah, um, I would put I I, I want to put Great Britain up there. Um, no, I might think that. of I might I might think of a country like Italy, even though I know economically it's not super well off right yeah, now. But it's person, but it's history and like <laughs> yeah. just well, like what it is though? today. Like, does, like should legacy count? Like as far as. Well, your history counts, yeah. I mean, to what extent, though? Like, yeah, it counts in American history. That's why I'm saying it's not, because I think American history is so ugly that it's hard for me to say it's the greatest. The fact that like we created liberalism is pretty ugly. I think the fact that we killed off like 80 million Native Americans is pretty ugly. Yeah, that is yeah, that is like, ugly. Rome, Italy didn't really kill a bunch of people. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, I have to take the Machiavellian stance here You're and right. say that <laughs> any any founding of a regime is is very bloody, right? That's right. Just the, way it, yeah. and the origins of political society are always very 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 dark yeah i don't know you Can, could even say something like canada because they give out free health care and stuff you know i mean yeah. you could you can make valid arguments this way and that and and i think that there's a lot of magnitudal sort of things that america definitely has accomplished but it, it's just hard for me to say because it's just we didn't I question it now we didn't bring up any uh, like cultural aspects though i was gonna say my dark my dark horses would be things that just like seem like kind of a pretty great place to just be in a culture. Well, like I was going to say America gave the world jazz. Okay. It also gave the world blue jeans. Yes. Those are very good contributions. <laughs> Two of my favorite things. <laughs> and, no, the cotton, and the cotton gin and the steamboat and interchangeable parts. Refrigerator. <laughs> but it pretty much is the case that American culture in some degree is Western culture throughout the world. You Big know? driver. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, and that's... That's to be con- that should be considered also, and I mean everyone like literally everyone just eats our movies up, even though like we may hate them, but we throw so much money at them. Everyone in the world is like, holy shit, dude! When that robot came down and yeah, turned to a fucking truck, true. man, <laughs> I lost my mind. Like, but I just but like something inherently makes me feel bad about like thinking about a kid in like a third world country. 
like playing in the dirt. Yeah, that sucks. And then seeing, <laughs> and then seeing like a poster for Transformers and be like, like oh, America's yeah. spending like hundreds of millions of dollars to watch digital shit blow up on a screen and like, oh, the cultural, yes, you but know, it's like not necessarily our fault that poverty exists. No, yeah. I'm not, and I'm not yeah. saying that. I'm yeah. just saying no, it's but it just is our fault that we don't that we're so suspicious of giving to foreign aid. It's like we should you know, be though. It's so hard to give foreign and, aid. And in I a would way say, I mean, just in terms of other other comparable countries i mean we're fairly generous in our for i mean not not the most generous but you know we give a good amount of, of money you know mm-hmm. there's a question of, i mean when you we're talking about a, a country that is so massively wealthy as the united states there's always this question of why not do more why not do more but there's always going to be a real limit to it I think, right. right and I, and i think i think it's i think it's understandable i think everybody should you know you have to play for your own keeps first and i think that that's understandable but it's just getting weird. I don't really know if I even think that globalization is really like that glorious of a notion. You know? Oh, yeah. I think, I think that the ability to be able to come together in like worldwide crises is mm-hmm. cool. But I think there's like making this huge push toward everything being globalized is kind of shitty a little bit, you know? Oh, yeah. But it's kind of happening without like whether we want it to or not. It's just the fact that like. But that sucks. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely have that, you know, like look at it in that way. But it's just the fact that like space, literally space on Earth has become smaller. Right, And, yeah. you know, the transnationalism of capital is just sort of commonplace now. And, mm-hmm. like, large businesses exist in the ci- in cyberspace, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just like... Oh, yeah, and just as a product of technology, this is going to increasingly happen. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, well, we could kind of... We're pretty close to where I kind of want to take it. Which yeah, is, take us home, Stephen. So, <laughs> how often uh, do y'all think about race? That's my big All question. the fucking time. Do you dude. think about race all day? <laughs> I, I just want to point out that in terms of privilege, uh, I am the only non-Caucasian <laughs> person at this table. Yeah, I'm half. Just Hispanic, for the listeners but, out know, there, that's pretty white. It's pretty white. Just yeah. for all the listeners out there, you're like extra white. In fact, yeah. yeah. Should, we, should we should we state the the you know racial makeup of everybody at the table? Yeah, I mean, that's let's what's go. funny. Yeah, let's put a, let's put the cards on the table. Okay, fine. Okay. Um, I am. So I'll give you just the the biggest ones. Right? Okay. You're yeah. you're white. Next. Yeah. <laughs> That's see, see, that's, see, that's, 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 exactly that's a racist. It's funny. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell us. Tell us what kind of uh, you're what just white, aren't you? Italian, Syrian, and German. I thought you had Lebanese in you. Well, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so Syrian, Syrian really? Lebanese. Yes. Oh, my be. Yeah, that's just pretty close. Um, wow. Pretty sure my mom and dad are English and Scottish. Respect. No. Irrespectively. Oh. Mm. oh. Re- reverse respectively. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Counter respectively. Re respectively. Yeah. Stephen, what kind of white are you? <laughs> um, so my mom is Scots, Irish, um, English, German white, and then my dad is uh, Spanish, um, and then some kind of native uh, Latin American, like um, Aztec or. Okay. Like, interesting. Yeah. And Ahmed? Uh, I'm Pakistani. Just straight up, yeah, just straight up. I think if you go back a little bit further, we're Kashmiri, and if you go back way far, we might be Central Asian. Okay. Mm. See, now after I took a class a year ago, I know where Kashmir is and what and why it's important. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kashmir. It's important because I am from there. Cool. It's important because it feels good. Okay. So yes, <laughs> to answer your question truthfully, I think about fucking race all the time okay. because I don't know oh. how to think about race because yeah. I don't know if even thinking about it, if I become racist or if we should well. like embrace racial differences and we're all just way too politically correct. I have no idea. And in mm-hmm. fact, I am so like 
cautious about it that like I don't want to offend anybody but you know it's just such a fucking hard thing to think about right my first real endeavor into like thinking about race was when I took a blues class and just Mm -hmm. talking about like um, like how blues originated from slaves and through slave songs and how um, you know then you had blackface and then you had um, just white businessmen picking up um, black singers off the streets and marketing them as like authentic and tribal so they can make money. And then, and then all the discussions that arose out of that was the first time I really was like, wow, you know, like there, here's an, a whole nother experience from a different perspective, you know, and that was race based, but mm-hmm. yeah, well, continue and, your question. Well, well, <laughs> take it to the next step of that evolution is where uh, the wrong stones and the Beatles kind of like, run take the baton and then really blow it up exactly and then all these other you know original artists aren't heard from right and that is cultural reappropriation yes which apparently is super devastating from what i hear (laughs) (laughs) some would say (laughs) wouldn't know personally Uh, I mean, so just to so yeah, to well, take I mean, a first stab at the original thing, which was you know, how often do we think about it? I'd be curious yeah, to hear it from everybody. I just ev- want to hear everyone's thoughts yeah, on okay. where we're at with race I, these days so, because it's it's very much like a, a new like racial pressure these sure, days. Sure, yeah, it's been reopened for sure. I mean, no just, just on a day to day basis, my gut reaction is to say I don't think about it much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder, I mean, to, if I were to try to step back and give some explanation for it, maybe it is, so I was, I was born and raised in the United States, right? I've been here my whole life. Um, greatest country on earth. And, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, being noticeably not white, you know, um, but growing up around, you know, mainly white people, but not just obviously, you know, so right. I had all kinds of friends and maybe that, maybe that was it. You know, I just sort of knew from early on that I'd, didn't look like most of the people uh, that I was hanging out with, but I never felt, uh, except on very rare instances, did I did I feel uh, excluded or even treated differently because of uh, mm-hmm. because of skin tone, you know. So, right. and then I think even just to this day, um, probably based on those formative years, you know, I just it doesn't enter into my uh, into my foremost thoughts very commonly. I right. Think. That's interesting. Yeah. I think that. Um I think I think about it not very often, and when I do think about it, you know, I don't know. It's hard because it's almost like sometimes race gets lumped in with, like, stereotyping, you know? It's like... Really? Yeah. Well, I'm not saying every time. I'm just saying it's a very, like, tangential notion about thinking about race and then thinking about the stereotype that accompanies that race because you could stereotype fat people. You know, and yeah. like, it's right. a bad. It can be bad to stereotype in that instance too. So like, sometimes I, I don't think that I'm immune from like stereotyping sometimes. But I think, but I don't really. Brain, man, but I don't. Yeah, it's like it's like a labeling categorization well, of sorts. But but I don't think I I don't think that like somebody's race really comes to my mind that often. Like I get offended by people that think about it a lot usually. Really. That, like. The, well, that talk about, about it a lot. Yeah. Well, least. what about black people that talk about it a lot? I think it's annoying as hell. Yeah, you know, I, I just think it, like always bringing it up is cause for concern. It's like it's like always bringing up Jesus. You know, like th- eventually you're gonna have people that are gonna like be rubbed the wrong way. Yeah, and be but like, okay, what if they're enough. only always bringing it up to you? You know, they're not talk. Maybe they don't talk about it with their friends as much. I mean, maybe they do talk about it a lot, but perhaps not constantly, because that would be cause for concern. 
You're saying like if I'm around a black person that constantly brings up race to yeah. me yeah. personally alone? Yeah. Um, <laughs> then yeah, I might think that maybe I need to reconsider if I'm a racist or something. But uh, no, I, I guess it's just it's Hunter, not really how, something I think about. How about your perspective coming up through um, like a fraternity, which is sort of mm-hmm. typically known as like racist in- institutions, and like it totally is. Whenever I would go to like huh. watch football games with um, like when a lot of fraternity guys were around in College Station, and anytime like a black guy would be on screen, automatically they were just like speaking like an ebonics tone and just like giving them all the you know just. And I'm guilty of that stuff too. You know I am, but but I don't but I don't ever really feel like I mean it in like that battle away i'm not yeah. like like just the same way that black people can talk like this and be impersonating me like i'm not like it's not like i'm thinking that i'm like a huge shithead because they did that <laughs> so like why do they think that i'm calling them a huge shithead for like well, impersonating I mean, I mean, them so in the a way, thing that can't you know? be ignored is that i mean specifically if we're talking about the example of, of black americans always talking about race it's it's for a very specific reason right which is that because of the because of the history right right or, yes yeah. yes um and that's i mean that becomes a much more complicated and tough question to answer which is that what to what extent should that kind of focus on race really be present you know is that is that better for our discourse or not? You know, mm-hmm. it's not not to change the question, but it's related. You know, yeah, it almost feels harmful harmful to ignore it. You know, yeah, and and that's sort of like where I'm always falling is just how do I how do I not ignore it, but exist with it in a tasteful way? Yeah, because like right. also at the same time like. There's there's comedians who make their their living off of like racial humor and like why is it that they're allowed to do that but like I am not I I, I don't know how to approach it in such a way that it it, it comes off like they do you know yeah. yeah I think most white comedians probably don't do that right yeah yeah as a, it's as a, unavailable you can't, yeah you, that's you can't, true you can't, yeah, or yeah. or they acknowledge that they can't do it in their routine yeah you know right. yeah, that's, that's like about the that's Neil about Brennan, the limit of it and that's about it yeah. <laughs> and Kramer. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh boy! <laughs> Good example, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> How much do you think about race, Stephen? Uh, yeah. I think about it quite a bit. All you know. Well, can you say so? Say again Y'all what your uh, background is. Uh, my dad is Spanish and uh, he, he's Mexican, but he Got has it. blue eyes. Okay. So the Spanish vein in him is very, you know, it's quite, it's definitely there. Um, and my mom's side is uh, Scots Irish, uh, English, and German. So I look very white. So my so uh, they wanted us to name me at birth Severiano Roman Trevano, which is a very Spanish name. That was yeah. beautiful. I just got a, was, my was, pants are tight, Stephen. That's definitely a line. Don't you know? Let me tell you. I can prove it. <laughs> <laughs> so my Irish, my Scots Irish grandma was you know that was no that's a joke. You're not naming him something like that. Like, <laughs> say that you know. So that's just right off the bat. Race is right there. Yeah. You know from birth. And, uh, you know, so it's just something I kind of think about is that we made a decision to, you know, acclimate to uh, Anglo tradition here in America. I will say there's something to be said that, like, literally my whole life, the environment that I've been in is pretty much exclusively, I've just been surrounded by white people. Yeah, yeah. you grew up in the woodlands, which is a, like a white flight oh, neighborhood, yeah. essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so I was born on the border of Texas and Mexico, about 20 minutes from there, and I was the white kid in my class, and I'm half Hispanic. Wow. You know, so totally different. But, you know, and then we moved away fairly early. I was about eight years old, and then moved to a suburb of uh, Atlanta, which was all white, pretty much. 
So I just felt like I've being a millennial. So many millennials have a very like diverse racial upbringing, and I've always been comfortable around different cultures and people. Yeah. But um. Yeah. It, it, we're definitely like getting to a point in America where, like, uh, liberal progressives are pivoting towards race as a thing to move to the front. So I don't know if you saw in the news recently, Bernie Sanders. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. Yeah, uh, Michael Malley kind of got they got shot, uh, shouted down by a black activist group at a at a friendly crowd. Yeah, you know, that's it's right. Just like a socialist crowd, and they shoot they shout him down. So what what did you hear about this and think about? Yeah, I, so I mean I don't I don't know much about the event except what you said, but it does rep- I mean there's an interesting kind of division even if you're just looking at the left within yes. the political left. There's this division yeah, because about because I'm on the right side of that. Right. There, <laughs> that, the right, not correct. Do you mean the, the correct? Oh, right <laughs> I'm on the correct side yeah. of that. No, I'm uh, super smart. So <laughs> believe me, I know. Yeah. Yeah, so there's this interesting division among the left about how much you want to focus, ex- uh, you know, how much. Well, they the, would say the exclusively riots, on race. They would say, I think that's the priority. I don't right. If they were yeah. if they were being reasonable, I think that's the way they would put it. Right. Not obviously, there's other problems, but the priority, the priority, is race. Is, is according to some right, and then the and then the other sort so of so much so uh, that saying that all people, all races are people is not an acceptable statement. Right. It yeah. it uh it, it doesn't uh give Oh wait, what? To what? to say all lives matter or something all like lives matter, from yeah. from one point of view you could say well that doesn't that ignores the, the real problem that specifically black people are facing. You know, you're yeah. making that sound too much like an egalitarian mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a, this really interesting division in the left. I, I guess it really comes down to this well, I, I don't want to reduce it to this entirely, but I think it's really deeply connected to the question of identity and, and how much race plays a role in, in somebody's self-identity, right? Mm-hmm. When I think about myself growing up and even, even today, you know, how I feel about how I associate with people, you know, if I'm going to construct my identity and say what's important about me, there are just a host of things that are so much more important mm. that, that come up way before my race, you know, mm-hmm. specifically just my opinions about things. I think, you know, when I feel sort of isolated from people, that's what it is. It's because I'm a weird guy, you know, yeah. right. he's got, right. he's got See, different points of view on things. Right. And, and the race thing just has never, well, this come is what up. makes yeah. identity so hard to politic out because the, the end game is very unknown and it's so yeah. dicey because on the one hand, I'm born of the deep Anglo tradition of America, and I have a relative coming over on the Mayflower. And then yeah. on the other hand, I'm an atheist, you know. Yeah, so, right. like, I have zero political representation <laughs> in the yeah. yeah. federal <laughs> government, you know. Yeah. So, how do I like to play my cards here? What is how do I view myself in like? It, it, so how do so for most black people, I would say, uh, big generalization: being black is foremost in their mind in their identity and i and i would and then i would just add to that that there's a it's it's very it's much more defensible in that instance because of america's particular and very recent history with blacks that is mm-hmm. if you're a black american and you feel that you know when people look at me police officers employers whoever it might be the All first they thing they see is, is the black and that's really what sticks with them mm-hmm. and if to the extent that that's true then identifying yourself primarily as a as a black person, I, it makes sense because that's that's what you're that's what you are in the yeah. eyes of other people, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's a real question, I guess, about have we gotten over that to some extent, you know? So uh, the point that I like to bring up when we're when we're talking about have we gotten over that yet 
is um, white people are very eager to get over that, right? That's something that white people are just, okay, yeah, we're done here. Because, <laughs> um, but I think an interesting thing to bring up is that very few people, very few white people in America have relatives that had owned slaves. I mean, even going back to the antebellum era, it was only something like 10%, 10 to 20% in some places of actual slave-owning white people. And most other people, you know, farm the land on their own. You had to be very wealthy to own other people, even right. in that economy. And then on top of that, you bring on the waves of immigration that came after slave trade was, or you know, after the Civil War. And then those people never uh, had slaves in the first place either. So when you get down to white America, it's very few people that have a direct link to that to that lineage. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, but so should your lineage like be held over you regardless if you did have a link to it or not? I mean, like you are not the actions of your forefathers. Definitely not. But the other on the other hand, you have black people who the va- very 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 many of them were here have lineages tracing before the the revolutionary <coughs> war because you know, you weren't going to come to this country, you know, before the Civil War exactly. unless yeah. you were a slave. Right. So it's not till then you have an African-American population. And it's not even that many generations. very little at that. And it's, yeah, and it's not very many generations removed, are you, from people who probably were slaves in your family. Right. So. Probably about five or six. Yeah. yeah. You know? Right. So they, you have that authority of the, the dilemma there, and black people have all the authority there. They have all the justice but they're they're targeting it at a people that being white people that really had nothing to do with it, and the argument is that they're still um, they're still winners under a racist uh, system, white supremacist system. Yeah, it's like infrastructural. You yeah, know, yeah, that's, that yeah, it's like an infrastructural right. oppression that we've set up. I think it's yeah, I think it's pretty tough to argue against that. That yeah, it, that's yeah. just the way it is, and Absolutely. I can kind of understand sometimes, like when you see these riots, where it's just that's just so much anger. That's all of that anger boiled over, and at the end of the day, it's like if like what else are you supposed to do if nothing seems to ever change yeah. and stuff like that? Right. And like when you do see some of the videos um, of of black people getting just like fucking brutalized but police like yeah it to the like i remember seeing one on cnn and it's like to the core of my being i was fucking angry and that's when i was like okay i get it i get why these people are are kind of acting the way that they are and like they're it it sucks that the it sucks the way that they are still treated now you know mm-hmm. yeah i i mean i don't think that thinking about race as a way of like you know categorizing people is a bad thing inherently um i just think that persecution is bad and i think that you know persecution because of a person's race is bad persecution because of a person's religion is usually bad is bad it's you know um or because of a person's um ancestry or whatever but i think that different people find different ways to be persecuted i mean there will be a lot of there will be a lot of instances that go down, and I wouldn't even realize that it's a racial issue until somebody framed it that way. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, well, it totally makes sense, I guess, now, now that it's framed that way. But I, I feel like there's just such this just uh, – because there is this, like, growing tension about racial relations that people are just so quick to jump the gun about everything being racially, you know, involved yeah. when – 
And a lot of instances, it's not. It's literally just like between people. You and know, it's just people pr- relations. And and you know, we've we've sort of said it or hinted at it a couple times. I mean, at a very basic level, noticing what somebody's race is and then categorizing them according to that, among other things, that's unavoidable. It's natural. That's what human beings do. Yeah. It's just one of the ways we. It's just one of the pieces of of data that we have about people. And it it reminds me of this. Uh, you know, when, when Malcolm X talks about, uh, this is a guy who obviously took race extremely seriously, uh, having been sort of brought up in this terrible environment, his father killed by white supremacists, right? Mm-hmm. Enough that he, you know, joins this organization that whose official theology, at least back then, was that whites were this evil race created by a mad scientist. I mean, that was the nation <laughs> of Islam. I think they've slightly reformed that, at least for the most part. Wow. But, um, you know, that, that, that was the belief, right? And then he goes to, uh, you know, af- after a while, he uh, sort of moves away from the nation and he converts to uh, Orthodox. Orthodox uh, Sunni Islam. At some point, he goes to Mecca on the pilgrimage, right? And he describes in his autobiography what he sees there. And, uh, you know, he sees Muslims from all over the world, uh, different colors, of course. You know, you got white Muslims, you got black Muslims, you got brown, yellow, every, every you know, shade of human being that you can imagine. And they're all, you know, they're obviously sharing the faith, so they all do their, their religious pilgrimages and rituals and things. But the one thing that was very interesting that he says is not just that everybody was just hanging out together. That was part of it. Every, nobody really cared what color you were. But he said people naturally gravitated towards people who looked like them. And yes. that was okay. The light-skinned people kind of gravitated towards each other because they're here in a strange environment. They don't know anybody. So what's the natural connection? That guy's fair-skinned like I am, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, there is, I, I do think we, we, we have to stress sometimes that there's just a very natural kind of uh, desire to be around those who are like you. And that, I think, is not, it would not be healthy to try to root that out entirely. Yeah, so, so you do hear from black activists quite commonly that, you know, it's impossible for black people to live in white neighborhoods. And, and it, it's framed in a way that it's, like, almost de jure. Like, it's yeah. in law somewhere that right. it's not possible when it's quite the opposite. Um, but I mean, it, when I hear somebody complain about that, I think, well, don't black people have the right to live amongst themselves if they care to? But I mean, that, that's something that's still kind of perplexing to me that it can be framed in such a way that it's actually white oppression that is keeping black people out of white neighborhoods. When I think there may be somewhat, you know, just put, taking a chance at it, that there's a very small desire for a massive amount of black people to live in white neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Well, if you think about, if you think about, you know, if you think that there is an infrastructural oppression that's going on, then it makes sense that there's like this vicious cycle about black communities and that people that like make money and that do become successful kind of want to get out of that. You know, like mm-hmm, yeah. they might, they might take it on their shoulders to be like, no, I'm going to, completely stop this current of bullshit and try and bolster up, you know, the entire black community on my shoulders. But very f- most most people are going to be looking out for themselves and their family and just try and like, yeah, go to the white go to the white go to the white community if they get yeah, yeah it, that they it, that you know, once they get a little bit of success because, you know, it's they don't want to be in a systemic, <laughs> you know, shit hole. So, yeah, right. I don't know. Well, thank you for the topic, Stephen. Yeah, of course. It was a good one. And that is the end of Deep cuts for this round. Thank you, everybody, for bringing your topics today. It was a whole lot of fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, brilliant. 
Well, it'll be up in the air to see when we all get together behind a microphone again, at least to to get something going. But we definitely need to think of something and yeah, figure out. Yeah, for not too long. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Well, being as this is the last week of Witty Banter episodes, I'm not going to do the normal um, plug-a-thon because it's all coming to a stop anyway. No need. But uh, thank you so much, listener, for um, checking out this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> What'd you say, Hunter? I just said there's no need for it. Oh, I thought... Everyone's giggling. I got. I think, he la- I I think they funny. laughed. I think they laughed that you said listener. I think well, you I uh, hope addressed the listener. Has had a good time today. <laughs> <laughs> that's. I just want to echo that. That's my that's general yeah. sentiment with most of the time when I'm hanging yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope your time was greatly had. Anyway, uh, yeah. So for all of us, we are out of here. Beep boop beep boop. Beep boop beep boop beep boop.